Welcome to this CDN Media Marketing Insights Podcast. I'm your host, J.D. Miller, SVP at CDN Media. This is a new series where we're going to talk to tech marketing executives on their strategies, struggles, opportunities, and more. In this inaugural podcast, I sit down with Ken Lau, Vice President of Marketing for Sevco Security in the Bay Area. If you're not familiar with Sevco, they're a cloud-native security asset management platform. Before Sevco, Ken was Vice President of Marketing at Abnormal Security, JASC, and Malwarebytes, along with stints at Proofpoint, Seesaw Networks, and more. I'm excited to pick his brain on where tech marketing is headed in 2022 and beyond. So stick around. After the break, I sit down with Ken. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, we've talked at, at various events uh, throughout the years, um, but what we're sitting in now as a leader, as a marketing leader, it's a lot different than what has been going on. So talk to me a little bit for you. What's different today versus pre-pandemic in, in strategy and outreach? Yeah, well, the you know, clearly the biggest difference is in-person events. Um, pretty much took a, an, almost an immediate nosedive uh, when the pandemic hit and we were all forced to, to, to transition into a, uh, into a virtual environment, which is challenging on one hand, um, because we, as I think as an industry, had grown so comfortable and used to operating uh, in person. And there's, there's certainly a tremendous amount of value for those in-person um, events. But there was also an advantage to those of us who work at smaller uh, companies. Uh, and, and so, you know, JD, you and I have, have worked together here um, at, a, at a couple of different uh, companies. You know, so I've been at a couple of different companies um, uh, since then. And what the virtual environment did was it, in some ways it neutralized the uh, effect of being smaller, right? Like you didn't look as small when everyone was forced into a virtual uh, playing field. So in some ways, um, it, it, it kind of created an opportunity for those of us in, in, in smaller organizations where, uh, you know, we could look much bigger uh, than we actually were. So talk to me, you mentioned it a little bit about face-to-face. Talk to me about the benefit of face-to-face versus virtual events and meetings that you, you've tried over the last really two years. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, face-to-face is always preferable. Uh, there's a, you, you I, I don't want to say you're guaranteed a level of attention, but you can certainly, um, you know, for, for those moments that you're face-to-face, you, you're certain to have that person's attention. Um, and I think with the virtual environment, you're never 100% sure of that, right? Like it's too easy to have, you know, my Zoom window open, but my email and my text open just as well on the, on the side. And, and, and so there's so much more um, effort that goes um, into making sure that you're communicating well in a virtual environment where, you know, as human beings, I think we, we're, we're naturally tuned to the face-to-face I- I- engagement. Um, and I, you know, I still look forward to the time when the face-to-face is, is, is still um, going to be a better option. Uh, you know, during kind of the, the pandemic, we, we obviously didn't have that as, as an option. Um, and so while I talked a little bit about the advantages of, of working um, the same size as a larger organization, you can't argue about the benefits of, of just being face-to-face, reading people's reaction. Um, it just, there's just something about that, that, you know, 
being physically uh, next to someone that, that improves the communication. Talk to me a little bit about how the decisioning process of your prospects has changed as you look to 2022 and beyond. I mean, I think for the prospects, um, one, one thing that I've noticed is that with the, and this is maybe the benefit of the, the virtual environments is that they got to meet a lot more vendors than they had in, in the past. Um, and so I felt like they were, they were able to kick more tires. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that they were necessarily engaging or buying more. But I, I found the um, a lot of the prospects better educated about the market over the last uh, several years. Maybe just because the ease of which you could, um, you know, get to an event and and just and get around and and get exposed to all of the new technologies and vendors. So um, I, I don't think the budgeting and procurement processes changed that much, other than there was definitely a a influx of spending right when the pandemic hit, when a lot of new technologies needed to get deployed very quickly as people were forced into uh, work from home. Um, but beyond that, I, you know, I've, I've, I think things are, are, are settling down a little bit and in, in that I think they're, they're going through the same procurement processes that they've always have. You know, what should marketers be keeping in mind to drive goals and business outcomes in, in 2022 and beyond? I think we're going to become significantly more um, outcome driven and a lot more metrics uh, driven than we have in the past. And, and a large part of that is when there were big events, marketers were lured into, you know, big brand and awareness um, types of spending. And those were always very hard to quantify. And, but we would do them because, oh, well, we had to be at that conference, right? We had to be at this event. And with that now kind of not being one of the primary ways that we go spend money, we're, we're, I think now it's much more uh, important for us to measure the dollars that we spend and really kind of be driven on what are the key uh, metrics that we're trying to, to drive, right? If, we, if we're trying to drive, you know, top of dollar, top of funnel, you know, pipeline in terms of dollars, or is it the number of initial meetings? Or it, it, so I think we're going to get much more metrics driven, and that will drive the decisioning process around where we invest those dollars. Whereas in the past, when you you had to go spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to be at a, at a large scale event. The ROI for those events never paid off, but we did them anyway. Um, and so now I, I feel like we're, we're, we're being, I would say it's probably a healthy thing for us, I would say, that, um, that has, has triggered us to, I would say, be, be a lot more uh, thoughtful about how we spend our money. No, I, I, I hear you exactly. And in, in, at CDM, that's why we kind of pride ourselves at these smaller, more intimate events where you can have those conversations, not the, the you know, the, the thousands and thousands of people at it. You know, it, it's the people who are making decisions and, and having meaningful conversations. So talk to me a little bit about with mergers and acquisitions over the years. How are you approaching sales now? Are you reaching out to a different level of people than you may have in the past? Not necessarily. I mean, I think it's all, it's still the same people they may, you know, as, um, as companies have, have merged and acquired a lot of those people still work in those organizations. So in, 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 a, in, a, in a sense, it's just given us 
additional uh, personas inside of those accounts for us to go talk to. Um, so it's still, I think largely we still define an ideal customer profile and an ideal persona. And we're still going after those same people um, because at the end of the day, I mean, this is still a people to people uh, relationship that we're going after. And, you know, they may represent a different organization or, you know, be part of a different, uh, be part of a bigger organization now, but that still doesn't mean that they're not a ideal, you know, person for us to go after and, and, and communicate with. Do you see vendor fatigue or vendor fatigue? You mentioned a little bit earlier, the clients are meeting more vendors than uh, in the past, you know, not necessarily vendor fatigue, but those clients, those prospects that they're, they're getting hit up and hit up. So you got to find creative ways to get in front of them, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, when, when those physical events um, went away, then it all became digital. The flood in which uh, people were getting exposed, whether it be on LinkedIn, you know, ads, uh, but all the, everything was via your computer, right? So everything was, was a, a digital front end at that point. And so I absolutely think it became a, it made a noisy space even noisier because all of those dollars that went towards those physical events, those were refunneled towards existing channels. Um, and so that certainly, I think, drove um, a lot of fatigue for those, uh, uh, for the, for the clients to, to your point. Um, and the idea of creating something unique that they would be interested in engaging um was significantly harder to do, right? Because it just became so noisy. I mean, how many wine tastings were, were being <laughs> offered? And um, yeah, so it, you're right. It, it made um, it made the, the landscape significantly harder and, and also um, and also noisier. But I think some of those some of those same things that are you know I would say I mentioned wine events. Those were way part of the reason why people were listening to more clients, right? It's like, yeah, I'll sit down. I've got nothing, you know, if I'm going to sit here, might as well have a glass of wine while I'm doing it. So they were taking advantage of some of those, I would say perks of, um, of talking to a vendor. Um, but it didn't make the job of, um, you know, us as marketers any simpler because it just didn't mean that they were necessarily actively pursuing a project. It was, uh, so there's, it, it definitely, uh, still a pretty noisy environment. <laughs> Talk to me about the changing face of your clients. Do you see them leaning on you guys more as a, as a partner instead of a vendor in the past? I've always believed that that was the right um, approach, right? Uh, I believe that, um, you know, becoming a trusted partner uh, to our, our clients and customers is always how you um, gain their trust and gain their business. Um, so, I don't know that it, it's um, it's changed. I haven't necessarily seen a change to say, hey, they're leaning more on me as a partner than in the past. But I've always believed that that was something that was really important um, in order, particularly as a as a as I mentioned, I've tended to work for smaller early stage companies, and the way that you um, earn someone's business is to to not just be a you know, someone that just offers a solution and then runs away, right? Like we, you know, it, it is, it is a partnership and that's really what they're investing in is a, a long-term partnership with a, with a company that's going to grow and grow with them over time. Do you see contract terms changing? For example, making shorter term decisions instead of 
discounts for longer term relationships, seeing, you know, those clients and those, those prospects, you know, trying to, to tighten things up a little bit as far as the time frame? Um, I've actually seen both. I mean, certainly in, in today's day and age, um, you know, with, with a lot of solutions being, uh, you know, cloud and SaaS, the idea that you can enter a, a relatively short-term decision and, and you're not stuck with something forever is, 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 you know, part of the value of SaaS, right? Like easy on, easy off. However, um, I've seen the opposite be very, very true as well, where, um, uh, and this goes back to me tending to be in, in, in smaller early stage companies. And I mentioned your previous question, which was, hey, they, you know, they want to see a partner in me, right? And so they, they are investing in us, um, not only as a solution, but as a long-term partner. And so we've actually seen customer pool where they want to sign a longer term contract because they're in it for the journey and they want to lock in a, you know, a, a price that, that they, that they, you know, that they, they're happy with for a multi-year term. So I've really seen both ends of the spectrum where, yeah, uh, you know, it's, I, I only want to go in for a year because I easy in, easy out, but I've seen the opposite be just as true, which is. Hey, I really like what you guys are doing. I really like where you're headed. I want to sign a multi-year contract because like I'm in it. Like I, I want you guys to know that we're committed to you as a, as a customer too. So, um, so not one way or the other. I've actually seen a, a real broad spectrum of both. Yeah, last question for you. And, and I love gazing into the crystal ball and, and reading tea leaves, whatever you will. As we look into the new year and beyond, Tell me what you think is going to be for marketers a top challenge, but also a top opportunity um, as everybody's putting their plans together right now to, to really kill it next year and beyond. What, what do you think is the top challenge and top uh, opportunity? Biggest challenge, I think, is going to be finding um, kind of that, the right mix of the, the, the marketing programs because so many of those channels have have gotten muted or or not available to us right now, um, and so, you know, everything you know, we've talked a little bit about everything moving to be so digitally focused. Um, you know, there's there's only so many channels where you can you can you can effectively do that, and, and I think trying to find that right mix is 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 going to be a, a really big challenge, and it's going to change. It's, it's a it's a pretty dynamic environment. Right now, where you know events are, you know, some sometimes coming back, sometimes coming back in certain regions, and, and so I think just watching that is going to be probably one of the most um, challenging aspects for marketers, and particularly because we're making like week by week, month by month type of decisions, and when you think about some of the you know, uh, things that like physical events, as an example, sometimes you need a longer lead time than that. Right. And so just, you know, trying to be reactive in, 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 in a dynamic world is, is probably the biggest challenge. Um, and then I think your other question was what, what are the opportunities? Right. Um, and, and so I, we talked, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but the idea that we can become much more metrics driven, I think is going to allow us to be uh, to react much more um, quickly because we're watching the metrics. In the past, when we were, it was you know I'm going to go to my two big events a year. Like you just gear up and you go do them, right? Now, now 
since we're constantly looking for those opportunities and the marketing mix, as I mentioned, and if we get, if we instrument ourselves correctly, uh, we'll be able to react very quickly because we'll see those changes. And I think that's going to be the biggest opportunity for us as, as marketers, just to get better at our craft is, you know, we're, we're finally going to kind of be, be uh, rid of the shackles of being tied to just being big brand uh, marketers and, and we're going to become performance marketers. And I think that's all going to be a good thing for us as a, as a profession. Wonderful. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain on this. It's going to be an interesting new year for marketers and, and sales leaders and uh, looking forward to, to seeing you face to, to face again, Ken. Yeah, same here, JD. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in to CDM Media's Marketing Insights. To hear any of our other podcast series, including CDM Media's Executive Insights, Solution Spotlight, or Women in Tech, go to CDM Media or search CDM Media wherever you get your podcasts. I'm J.D. Miller, and remember, keep connecting.